One of the questions I had at the break time was, uh, is it okay then, did I say not to call this the Word of God? Is this, if, if Jesus is the Word of God, is this the Word of God? And this is honestly a little hobby horse I like to crawl on now and then. Uh, are these the words of God? Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. What I'm not comfortable with by us calling it the Word of God, and almost everybody does, 99% of the believers I know will say, you know, well, the Word of God says, or let's turn to the Word of God, or we've gotten very comfortable calling it that. And, and the reason why I chafe at that a little bit, I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not really on a hobby horse to change the whole world from that kind of terminology. But what I think it does, it, it misses the mark and gets our, our mind on the wrong thing when this scripture talks about the Word of God. For instance, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Read that in most groups of Christians today, and 99% think you're talking about the Bible before you've said anything. Would that be true? And if that's true, then we're already in the wrong conversation. I think the mistake that we made early on somehow in Christendom is it, it, by calling this the Word of God is that we substitute a book for the person of the resurrected Christ. So lots of people are trying to follow principles derived from a book rather than for a book to open them to a relationship and then live inside that relationship. That's the reason why I get lots of email from people that describe to me a situation they're in and then say, so Wayne, what do you think I should do? And what underlies that is there certainly is a principle that now that you know the facts of my situation, you can come up with a principle that's going to help me resolve this. I don't have that principle. I don't think any situation finds its resolve in a principle. I think the situations we're in find our resolve is, what is Jesus asking you to do? Is he asking you to lay down your life and let somebody walk all over you? That might be true. Is he asking you to stand for the truth and not be a victim of someone else's arrogance or wrongdoing? It might be. I don't know the principles that you apply, into even the principle of, well, love one another. Because what does love look like in a given situation? Love is not just, I'm just nice and I always take it on the chin and I always just give in to everybody around me and I just always become a doormat and I'm just, that's not what love is. And so when we try to find resolution in principles, when we, when we look, take a scripture like Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we say, ah, so that's the scriptures. It's really the presence of Christ in my life that divides between soul and spirit. It's his voice that says, Wayne, you're being selfish there. Here's where I want you to walk. And sometimes selfishness, we can do selfishness with the best of motives and justified in, I mean, justified with all kinds of scriptures even. That's why proof texting is dangerous. That's why going to this to find justification for what I want to do. I mean, obviously there's things in here you can read that are definitely out of bounds. You know, you wouldn't say as I had a, I had this recently from a couple that two brothers had married two sisters, not their sisters, but sisters. But over the course of their marriages, which were five or six or seven, eight years old, somewhere in that, they've each decided they've, each brother has fallen in love with the other sister, and each sister has fallen in love with the other brother. And because I'm kind of an out-of-the-box thinker, they thought they could run that little scenario by me and say, now, do you think it's okay? Because all of us are agreed. We really feel like God's shown us. We married the wrong person, and we all want to switch partners. And, I, and they just, you know, we need God's blessing on this. I'm going, dude, you called the wrong person. I, I know I'm a little old to be saying dude, but I live in California and they say dude a lot. So I, I'm a little bit old for, you know, to even walk in that place with you. 
I think Scripture makes that clearly out of bounds. I, I really don't have to sit and for a long time go, gee, I wonder if Jesus might. So certainly there are big ticket items in Scripture that are absolutely clear. We don't have to sit and wrestle with what might Jesus do. But in most of the decisions you make every day, how you respond to the people around you, how is Jesus wanting you to respond? And not what would Jesus do? That's not my favorite question. So what's Jesus asking of me? And if I don't know, it's, an, again, something I hold before him until I have clarity about it. But the, the mistake of becoming people of principle rather than people of relationship has, I think, caused great problems in our learning to be believers in this age. We're looking for principles that tell me what to do. And then when the principles fail us, then we just throw up our hands and can't figure out what to do next. When Jesus said in the upper room, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 16, that to me makes the profound statement, the John 5, you think you find life here? You don't find life in the scriptures. Life is in the Son. Truth is in the Son. The Son is the way. You're going to try and do this without Him? You're going to try and do this with this book alone and hopefully this book giving you everything you need to know and do about life? And I know people who live that way? It's not the way I think God's called us to live. It's not the way I'm going to live. Jesus promised us in that upper room, post-cross, after the cross, and what the cross accomplishes, you're going to have the opportunity to have this relationship with my Father, with me, and with the Holy Spirit. And if you'll engage that relationship, yes, it's through a glass darkly. Yes, we don't know him fully. Yes, we can make mistakes in thinking, I think Jesus might be saying this to me, and it's really just Wayne's ambition that I signed Jesus' name to. Well, you'll find out soon enough when you get in the middle of that thing, and then Jesus will let you really clearly know, hey, this is really about you, not about me. We'll get to learn that. And it's through, Hebrews says, through practice that our senses are trained to discern good and evil. So I I don't really care so much if this is called the Word of God, if people want to use that expression, but if that's how you interpret scriptures, that they draw you back to the book, or if you think when Paul or Luke says in Acts that the Word of God spread among them, if you really think they were passing out scriptures to each other, then you're really going to have a mistaken notion of what Acts is all about, because they weren't passing out scriptures. They were conveying the word, the living Christ, the same Jesus whom you crucified has healed this man and is here in this place. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's the language of the book of Acts. So when the word of God spreads among them, it's the living Christ spread among them. Now, when the Old Testament talks about the word of the Lord came to so-and-so and and he said such and such, those are the words of God. It is the word of the Lord. It's okay to call those things that stuff. I'm not on a banner... I'm not on a bandwagon against that kind of thing. But I do think we want to take a step back and realize that when, particularly the New Testament is talking about the Word of God and the Word of God spreading and the Word of God growing and the Word of God in your heart. And when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. He's not talking about distorting their expository scriptural preaching because they weren't doing a lot of that. They didn't have the New Testament. What they were often talking about became the New Testament. The teaching of the apostles was their sharing of the story of Jesus. And the teaching of Paul was his understanding of how this relationship works out in those of us who want to know this God and live and work in him. So the word of God becomes the reality of our life in him. And and the word of God can be, yeah, God spoke something to me and I can call it the word of God. and, And I'm okay with that terminology. But when we substitute principle for a personal relationship, I think that's where we make the fatal mistake. Jesus wants you to know him. 
And in knowing him, all this stuff about the Jesus lens and reading scripture through a growing relationship with who he is in a conversation with who he is takes another voice in this party. It's not just me and a book and the best interpretation we've got, finding principles, living them out as best we can and hoping God's being glorified and all that. It is this draws me to him. This book shows me the way God thinks about everything. Shows me the way he acts. It helps me understand the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. And I like the way Eugene Peterson phrased it in the message. I, I've prayed for you that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you would be attuned to the ways in which God works. I had a major shift in my life. From the time I grew up as a young man to 42, I thought there was a way God worked through obligation, information, and manipulation to get people to act like better Christians. Now, I talked to relationship because I believe there was supposed to be a relationship in there somewhere. And if you got it, great. But if you didn't, the rules are pretty clear. I had a 268-point discipleship chart that you could fill out and figure out exactly where you were in this journey. And then to, and wherever you were in this journey, there was curriculum for you to fill out the other 268 points that you were behind. I kid you not. I published this. You can't find it today, thankfully. <laughs> I don't even talk about it today. It doesn't show up on my books list that I wrote. Why? Because we put people through that in the, with the best of intentions. We want to help people be more like Jesus. And it was about reading scripture and praying and fellowship and community and evangelism. And it was all these things you could check if you were at this level of this thing. And if not, then how you could go deeper and broke it up into four sections and growth opportunities to help people grow. So you get all 268 filled out. The problem was this, as people started arriving at the end of our chart, having filled out all 268, including those of us who wrote it, and we wrote it because we could fill out all 268, (laughs) I realized we were no more Christ-like than we began this process. We were following a bunch of rules, but you know what rule followers are, is that they're obnoxious people to be around because misery loves company. If you're following rules, you want other people following rules. And it's not fair that you don't get to follow the rules if I'm working hard to follow the rules. And so we, at the end of the day, we didn't become more Christ-like. And then 15, 6, probably 17 years ago now, when God began to reshift this in my heart, and I heard the teaching of the cross for the first time at a real point of pain in my life, and all of a sudden I realized, man, maybe there was a gospel here that I had missed. Maybe, I mean, when I was growing up, we thought the other denominations were the Galatian church. And then lo and behold, I found out I was pastoring one. And I had taught people well how to live by obligation, but I had not introduced them. To a tra- I hope they would have gotten a transforming relationship, but hadn't introduced them to it. And so it's, I think it's confusing when we start calling this the Word of God and get people thinking this is who they have a relationship with, and this is what they're supposed to do. And then when they don't do it, when they read these verses and go, I don't understand anything that's in here, then I've got to find someone else who does it well for me, and I'll just do what they tell me to do. And then I am writing a stranger 3,000 miles away I've ever met, telling him my circumstance and saying, what would you do in this circumstance? And going, dude, I would ask, this is what I write back so I can save you all those letters. I write back, I would ask Jesus what he would have me do. That's what I would do. I don't, I don't have advice to give you that this would be the best thing to do in every situation. And then this, uh, this is the Jesus that we're talking about. I meant to show this a little earlier. This actually is the book that we're coming out with this fall, Man Like No Other. It's the illustrated life of Jesus. But it takes the gospel stories and retells them in a way that I think gets to the heart of the non-religious Jesus, that veneer we've painted over him that I don't think he embraced. We had an artist who for 14 years has been painting the history of the life of Jesus. And so that's the cover of the book. We're going to use it for a graphic. But you know me, it's tired. I'm late. I forgot it. I want to read you this. 
This is from Richard Wormbrand, wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. The Bible is a wonderful book. It is the truth about the truth. It is not the truth. Capital T. A sermon taken from the Bible can be a wonderful thing to hear. It is the truth about the truth about the truth, but it is not the truth. There have been many books written about things contained in the Bible. I have written some myself. They can be quite wonderful to read. They are the truth about the truth about the truth about the truth with a capital T, but they are not the truth. Only Jesus Christ is the truth, and sometimes the truth can be drowned out in a multitude of words. That's a great point. And so remember that as we're kind of walking on this journey. Okay for us to be talking about the truth about the truth? Yes. I, I want people to be serious students of Scripture. I do. I also want them to be serious followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and learning to live inside a love-based relationship that's transforming at the core. And as I'll show you when they get together next time, how those things come together. Not, not, they don't compete with each other. There's not a fight between those two realities. There's a wonderful merging of realities that let us live in the truth the way God's asked us to. 